Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic are rosters in the ELCA. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes or pick up your knitting needles and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I'm Pastor Amanda Zenzalo, and I serve as the pastor of Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. I have no idea what a roster is, but I can only imagine that it's a list of people who you can call if you can't do the service on Sunday. Oh, close. Okay. So a roster is a list of people, okay. right? I mean, that's if you think of a game Textbook roster. definition. Mm-hmm. Right? Exactly. When we're talking about it in regards to the ELCA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, we're talking about the list of individuals who are credentialed and who are approved for specific service. Okay. Particularly in this case, we're talking about individuals who are credentialed, certified, and ordained or consecrated. Okay. And these are folks who can lead in religious services or to do specific things. There's a long process that people have to go through in order to receive these credentials. And Not then necessarily just passing seminary? Correct. Okay. There's actually a lot more than just that part. So that gets you onto the roster. Okay. And then as a rostered individual in the ELCA, you're eligible for specific calls, work, roles, positions, etc. Huh. So that's what the roster of the ELCA is. Now, we're going to dive a little bit more into understanding what that means in today's podcast, because I think it's interesting. Well, I had no idea it was (laughs) even there, so yeah. Yeah, and it's something that uh, you work to become a part of. It takes a lot of time and commitment and energy to be a, a part of the roster, and so being rostered is the term, and it matters is to it those of us who've worked on it. similar to being a teacher, but then getting tenure? Mm, I don't know, because okay. I don't understand tenure as well. So to be a rostered individual in the ELCA, you have to have completed your four-year bachelor's degree. So you have to Any have four-year's bachelor's any degree. Any four-year bachelor's. Okay. Any topic. So high school's done, four-year bachelor's, and then you go on to get a master's of some kind. So it might be your master's of divinity if you're headed towards ordination, or it might be a master's in a theological study type way if you're not heading for ordination, but instead are heading towards consecration. Okay. And in the ELCA, we have two different areas and two ways in which people are rostered. Okay. So there's the roster of word and sacrament, and there's the roster of word and service. Okay. This is new. This has been in the last few years. We have combined the rosters to understand that they're one roster. They're one group of people who are doing this kind of work, even though we have different credentials and different calls. Okay. So someone who's going to be heading towards the roster of word and sacrament, right? This is someone who wants to be a parish pastor Okay. and feels called to that. I think we've talked about seminary in a previous podcast and all the things you have to do to get through seminary. Yep. And we've also talked sacraments and how they play a role in the Lutheran theology and church. Okay. So people know what a sacrament is. So here's what the word and sac shorthand roster is about. As someone who's called to serve on this roster, I am called to parish ministry I am in charge of, and I have the role that my call is to make certain 
that we hear the word appropriately and well. So that's the story, that's the Bible, that's scripture. And that the sacraments are administered rightly. Okay. Which means that baptism and communion are effectively being received and being cared for, that there's a worship service, that confession is happening. That is my primary call and role. Okay. I am called to make certain that those pieces happen. Now, in addition to that, I do pastoral care and I do admin work and all of those kinds of pieces. And we have different parts of things that we're responsible as pastors to encourage people to live their faith in the world and to do those kinds of things. And at the end of the day, if our position gets cut down and down and down and we're only quarter time, uh-huh. <laughs> right? The main thing that a pastor is called to do is preach the word and administer the sacraments. Okay. And for those who are the non-regular churchgoers that are listeners, those two for the Lutherans, it's baptism and it's communion. Exactly. And those are our two sacraments. And so that work takes that four-year master's degree in addition to the bachelor's, and it takes having made it through candidacy Mm -hmm. and the various and sundry different interviews and processes that you have to go through in candidacy in order to be approved for ordination. Mm -hmm. And then you have to have a congregation willing to call you as their pastor in order for you to be ordained Mm -hmm. as a pastor. Oh, You can't just be ordained and then look for a congregation? No, no. interesting. Nope. It's a trifold call is how we understand it. And so the call of like your own sense of call, your own personal sense of call is affirmed by being able to finish seminary Mm -hmm. and get through the classes and do all of that work. The call of the church, the larger body is affirmed through the candidacy process And the interviews that you go through and writing the essays that you write and all those kinds of pieces. And then it takes the call of the people, which is a specific congregation saying, we want you to serve as our pastor. Is it often that you get stuck in that weird limbo where you don't get a call from people? I waited a year. I know lots of people. A good friend of mine waited four years. How is that even possible given the shortage of pastors that seems to happen? (laughs) Well, it's a location thing, isn't it? It's called women. <laughs> it's oh, called gender. those who are LGBTQIA. Sure. Wait a long time for their first call. Oh, that's It's people of color. Sure. So the average length of waiting for first call and waiting for ordination, as you go down levels of privilege, that wait goes longer and longer. Sure. Many... White men have calls directly out of seminary. Oh, that's fascinating. And part of it does have to do with willingness to move and mm-hmm. availability and capacity to be able to be open to the call, so to speak, to go anywhere in the country where you're needed. Mm-hmm. And I was assigned to Montana to begin with. I was really young. I was 25. I was single. I had gone to school in Berkeley. I was liberal. I (laughs) was a woman. So yeah, I waited for a year while lots of really nice guys got the calls that I was interviewing for. 
in Montana. And it's not because the congregations were particularly sexist or any of those things. It's just that it would have been a really, really rough go. Sure. For For everyone. For everyone in some of those matches. And so I waited for a year before the right call came Hmm. for my ordination to occur. Now, while you're waiting for that, mm-hmm. could you have been on that other roster? Mm-mm. No? Mm-mm. No. Wow. That's hardcore. <laughs> okay, so what is the other half of the roster then? So the other part is word and service. And this roster has been, in our denomination, finding its way for the last decade. It's been underserved and under respected. Okay. I think in a lot of ways, I'm really hopeful that maybe that kind of treatment of these rostered individuals as second class because they're not pastors can start to go away. Because the powerful part is the word and service roster. So these are folks and they're called deacons. Okay. So where a pastor is a pastor, then we have our deacons. And Our deacons are called to help us figure out how to make the rubber meet the road. Okay. To take the word, to take the scripture, and to take what we're taught and help us to live it out in our daily lives, to live it out in acts of service, to really find a way to flesh it out in the world. So So you're not necessarily talking somebody who's helping out in a church service on a Sunday morning. No, not at all, necessarily. Lots of deacons do lots of different things. And really, I think if I were to dream of being in a position where we could have both a rostered pastor and a rostered deacon on staff, for example, then all the part of how we live our faith in the world and the social justice advocacy that we do would be best served by that deacon Hmm. taking their specific style of organization or their work and really helping that be fleshed out. Meanwhile, the word and sacrament pastor can focus on making certain that there's a good sermon on a Sunday and that the worship service is well done and that visitations are occurring so our homebound are receiving communion and have access to those sacraments, right? Those kinds of pieces then rely on that word and sacrament roster while the vigils and the marches and the advocacy work is well articulated and overseen by a word and service deacon. Okay, then what does it take to get on that roster? So it's another where you have to have another master's degree, a study in theology. You go through candidacy, the same candidacy process that pastors do. I had no idea. And then you find that call, that way that people are going to pay you to be doing this specific hard work. And then there's a consecration service. The challenge with it is, is that deacons have been so undervalued and so misunderstood for so many years within our denomination that it's really hard for our deacons to find calls. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard for the church to understand them. I don't specific to this particular denomination, <laughs> because I had no idea as a Catholic either what the heck a deacon was. Well, and I think that a I'm deacon... sure it changes from... Yeah, I think it's different. And it was interesting, you know, a bunch of colleagues online were talking about how With this particular shift of combining these rosters and understanding what a deacon is, a request from our roster deacons 
to congregations who use that term to consider how they may shift their language so that it's understood that in our denomination, a deacon is a rostered individual. Okay. If a congregation is using people who have been long-term members and they're calling them deacons or elders, and that's their board member or their council member, right, then that's a volunteer position or an elected position of the lay community as opposed to someone who has had this extensive theological training, uh, internship, candidacy, all They're of, taking back the name, essentially. Or at least trying to elevate it. Sure. And trying to help people understand that deacons as rostered individuals are folks who have done a lot of work and are really intentional about how they are serving God in their community. Does a deacon then still need a call from a congregation to make that final step? That is a great question, and I honestly don't know. Okay. Which shows my own lack of knowledge, right? Sure. I mean, this is, one, it's a new way of understanding things. We had a couple other rosters that were combined into one, and then you know things have been shifting and changing in our denomination in the last few years specifically around this. I don't know if it does take a specific call. It certainly doesn't take a call from a congregation because there are plenty of deacons who aren't serving in congregations. Oh, They may be serving as a chaplain in a hospital. Okay. Or they may be serving running a food pantry, right? Those places where their ministry, their call meets the world's need, that service element. And so I'm not certain how exactly that determination of consecration occurs. We'll know, hopefully, coming up soon, because we have a candidate for the Word and Service roster in our own congregation right now. Oh, fantastic. Now, the other thing I don't think people who don't go to church as regularly understand either, and this was something that I was surprised by, having come from the Catholic faith, Mm -hmm. the whole sacrament thing doesn't happen as often in the Lutheran church, only from the standpoint of you're not always baptizing babies or people, and you don't have to have your communion at every service the way there is always communion at every service in the Catholic church. So I think there is more of a chance for this to be a useful position, especially in this particular branch of the faith. And I would say that there's a move for... Communion to be at every service now in the Lutheran Church. Yeah. There are certainly some congregations that don't have it every Sunday, but many, many congregations have moved to every Sunday. That's interesting because when I joined, I expected it every Sunday, Mm -hmm. every service, and it was maybe every other, if not just once a month. Yeah. And when I was ordained, my congregation in the South, I think we had communion first, third, and fifth Sundays. (laughs) Just to make it interesting. keep it fun. And by the time I left, we were at every Sunday. Okay. And in my second call, I think we had communion, like, it was served every Sunday, but at the other service. Your morning service and your first service would have it, second service wouldn't. Huh. Second service would have it, first service wouldn't. And eventually we just got to where we had it every service. That would be really confusing. I found it really confusing. But people who've been living it for a long time never found it confusing. Sure. That makes sense. So I think 
pastors have held so much power for so long, right? And that's the reality. When we talk about the roster and we talk about rostered leaders versus lay members, and that's the terminology in the church is rostered versus lay or mm-hmm. ordained versus lay. And it creates this kind of division that is not particularly helpful. Mm-hmm. And what gets even more awkward for that word and service roster is that for many years, they've been seen as like that place in between. They're not really a pastor, <laughs> but they're no longer lay. Sure. So they're just in this weird amorphous. My prayer, and I think the hope of our denomination, is that we can start to understand, one, that that division, that lifting up of clergy over lay people actually doesn't help us bring about the kingdom of God, right? There's no need to elevate pastors to such a high and mighty status. Those who are called to do the work of holding safe the word and sacrament for the community, but that doesn't make us any more important than those who are doing any other work or call of their own vocation in the midst of the world. And then mix into that the deacons who are helping us to live our faith well in the world. And you really start breaking down that kind of top-down power structure. I hope and I pray that we can really walk into that in the next 20, 30, 40 years. Because as that kind of dynamic of power over continues to fall apart in our community is that need to have an expert to tell us what to think. We can all do our own research now in our pockets through Google, right? So we don't need that expert anymore. And so as we break down those walls and break down that stratification of different groups, we can really come to value the intention of each individual and the gifts and the call and the sacredness of the call of each individual. It's important that we recognize the work of those who have worked to become rostered. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to devalue the roster. It's an important thing. I worked very hard to become a part of the roster. It's an important thing to me that I am on the roster. It's important for my taxes. <laughs> um, right? Like there's certain things that you have to be on the roster to be like, I need to be rostered in order to preside at weddings. Oh, Interesting. Right. I mean, those are the kinds of legal things that come from being on a roster. I need to be rostered in order to be able to hold that formal confession time that I know we've talked about before. Change the legal status with your blending of your two rosters? No, not at all. Okay. And that's the kind of piece where then where does word and service, how do their rights and privileges that come from the legal standing? come from being a part of the roster. And so those are all parts that get sussed out at the higher level of the church that people like me don't have to worry about. Where but do you think this change is coming from then? I'm assuming this is a congregation-led thing instead of a top-down? That's a great question. It would have come from a congregation to a synod. Okay. And from synod, it was memorialized to the national church. And it was voted on at a church-wide assembly to shift this into these rosters and how this goes. Mm -hmm. And it's been a process that's been tumbling forward and happening for about the last three to four years. Has it only been that long? Four years? Five years? Which sounds like a long time, but when you're talking church time, Mm, that's moving swiftly. Yeah, it really is. And we're coming up on another church-wide assembly next year. Okay. And so who knows what other kind of changes are going to be coming. But I think these changes are happening because we know that the church is changing. 
Mm-hmm. We know that how church is happening is changing, and that's going to take a change and have an effect on all kinds of things, like the roster, like the way that we organize ourselves. That is fascinating. Well, then my last question to you is this. Can you get kicked off this roster? Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. There's a Lutheran version of the defrocking. Yeah, there oh. is. Mm-hmm. Okay, do tell. <laughs> How bad? I mean, you got to put forth some effort. He's <laughs> <laughs> not just giving a bad sermon on Sunday. <laughs> no, no. Oh, no, no. Don't um, have to get in particulars. Or we would all be defrocked by oh, somebody well. at some point in our ministry. In the ELCA, we have constitutions. Okay. We have a national constitution, and we have senate constitution, and we have congregational constitutions. And at each level, there are policies and procedures in place at those constitutions in order to assist in a kind of situation where that might be a possibility. In a congregational setting, it's chapter nine of our constitution that deals with the roles and the call of a rostered leader and how the policy or what the policy is and how it would move forward if you were to bring a pastor up on charges that would actually lead to a potential of disciplinary action. Hmm. So the same kinds of things that you would expect would get you kicked off a roster as you would lose any job. So financial misappropriation, sexual misconduct, those are really the big ones that are going to get you into trouble and you would start a trial proceeding. Uh And there's an entire procedure that is written out and that is accounted for in congregational senate and national constitutions on how that happens. And then each senate has a panel, a group of individuals who are elected by the senate to serve as the folks who would come in in a situation of that kind of conflict, who would serve as mediators and as listening posts Mm -hmm. and who would oversee the trial and the procedure and then would make recommendation and the bishop's office makes recommendations. Is this something that happens in the ELCA itself or a criminal court? Within the ELCA. Okay. Now, there might be criminal proceedings alongside of. Okay. Right? I mean, that can be a choice. Depending on the whole reasoning for bringing charges. Precisely. Okay. Precisely. And so how that can happen, for example, should a pastor be accused of financial misappropriation, then perhaps the Senate disciplinary committee would begin an investigation. They would find out whether or not it's merited. The bishop's office would take disciplinary action should it be necessary, Mm -hmm. then that pastor would be given the opportunity to resign Mm -hmm. or the congregation can go through the actual procedure, which is pretty intense and hard and heartbreaking Mm -hmm. to vote a pastor out. It takes a lot of work to get a pastor voted out. And then at that point, the bishop's office, when the person is not under call, would potentially remove them from the roster. So that's all that part. Uh Now, the congregation, having discovered the financial misappropriation, could also choose or not choose to pursue turning them into the district attorney's office for civil investigation and liability. Mm -hmm. On the less litigious end of things, Mm -hmm. if you had just decided, you know what, 
I really think a different path is for me. Mm-hmm. Can you take yourself off the list? Yes. Okay. And so there are those for whom the time has come to step away from the roster and they have done the work they've served and they've done this and they find that this is not where they're being called to. And so they make the choice to step off the roster. And we've had two folks that I know of while I've been here that I've walked with who have stepped off of the roster, one from roster of word and sack and one from roster of word and service. Mm -hmm. That's a big deal. Mm -hmm. It's a big choice to make. It's different than retiring. Mm -hmm. When you retire, you might still be on the roster. But to remove yourself from the roster is a big deal. Mm -hmm. And the other way for it to happen is that if you have been on leave from call for three years... Mm. and you haven't had a call for three years, then you can request to continue to stay on the roster or you leave the roster and you have to petition to be returned to the roster once you have another call. Interesting. And so those are all parts and pieces of it. But yes, you can be kicked off the roster. You can step off of the roster. Yeah. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about the roster of the ELCA. I look forward to sitting down with you another time on another topic. As do I. And thank you for listening. I hope you found this intriguing. And if you have any questions about candidacy or thoughts about how to serve, feel free to contact us. You can contact us at podcast at centralportland.org. You can contact me directly about candidacy at pastor at centralportland.org. We would love to hear from you. And until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you, no matter what.